This past week has held a lot of pain in the world, a lot of pain for a lot of people. Our country is facing an incredibly difficult moment in time. Not only are we continuing to face this horrible virus that this week has now taken the lives of over 100,000 people, but we're seeing that there's people all over the country that are facing financial strain. There's 20% unemployment. It's a, it's a really difficult time. There's a lot of fear and frustration and pain. And on top of all of this, this past Monday, a black man in Minnesota, George Floyd, was heartlessly killed. And many of us saw a video of watching him suffocate before our eyes. It was awful. It was heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. And personally, this week I have been full of so many emotions. Confusion, fear, anger, sadness, a lot of sadness and anger. And I wept over the death of a man that I never knew. And I know that this tragic death is not just a one-off event, that there have been many others who've also been killed unjustly because someone else didn't value their life because of the color of their skin. In church, this is wrong. This breaks God's heart. We are all made in the image of God, and this is a crime against humanity. I'm not sure what we can do to bring change, but I believe I know who can bring change. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. In church, we need to pray that God's light drives out the darkness and that God's love drives out the hate. So I want to call us together to pray this morning. And we're going to, I just want to pray with you all. So let's pray. Father, as a church, we bring heavy hearts to you. With our nation in turmoil once again, we only have you to turn to. We have proven yet again our humanity falls short of loving one another as you've commanded us. Please heal our hearts, heal our relationships, heal our communities, heal our nation. Help us as a Christian family to stand up against injustices and uphold the fullness of your law to love you, to love you and to love our neighbor. Help us as your children to love all people, not some, to care for all people, not just some. Help us to do our part to stand up against injustices towards all people. And help us to do our part to love those around us as we love ourselves. Because love always protects, love always trusts, always perseveres, always brings healing to damaged relationships. Holy Spirit, fill us with your love. Fill us, your children, with your love that we can pour it out to the world around us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, Anthem Church, good morning. Thanks again for being with us here today, today this morning. Um, it's, a great, it's a time for us to stick together, and it's a time for us to reach out. And so, uh, Liz, thanks for those words, and thanks for leading us in that this morning. And I pray that, uh, that God will give us keys to um, 
reaching out and um, just bringing peace wherever we can during this time. Thanks to our worship team this morning for leading us in worship. Thanks, for, thanks to you guys, the, the, the team that made that uh, happen, both the, the band and vocalists and the uh, setup and production team. We appreciate all the work that you've done. Apologies for the dog. Uh, we, we just uh, can't do anything with that guy, but we're trying. I think his worship was received in heaven, so we're hoping at least. We've been talking on this series, how to get through what you're going through, and of course, so much of us are going through so many things. Um, I, I, I don't know if you're like me, I, I tend to avoid a lot of the things that I don't like. We all do that, don't we? We avoid things that we, you know, we, we just don't want to do. Exercise, spent a lot of my life avoiding exercise. Um, hard work, uh, hard, unnecessary work. Uh, for you kids who are uh, high school at the moment and you just feel like you're just being given busy work on Zoom calls or on, on Google, uh, Google Classroom or something like that, it just feels like, you know, unnecessary work. We all want to avoid unnecessary work. I remember as a kid, for one of the things that I always wanted to avoid was vegetables, all right? Am I right? Like, I know there's some vegetarians out there, but when I was a kid, I wanted to avoid vegetables at all costs. In fact, at school, I got an amen here. Uh, in fact, at school, in, um, I was in um, the, probably the equivalent of fourth grade, and they used to serve up this stuff that in England we call swede, and it just looks like this pile of sludge, and it, I think you call it rutabaga here, uh, but it's, it's called Swede in England. And it's some kind of like turnip type thing that should never be eaten by a human. But we, we would have this stuff with our school lunches. We hated school lunches and we hated Swedes so much that m- me and two of my friends in fourth grade set up this organization. Yes, uh, this organization called the RSPSL, which was the Royal Society for the Prevention of School Lunches. Uh, it's true. And, uh, it, you know, the, the three of us thought we were, were going to make an impact here. And three of us got a petition signed by what seemed to be hundreds of fourth graders at the time. And during break time, we took it to the headmaster. And we suggested with this petition that, that school swede and school lunches should be banned um, because they were so bad. The result of that was that we got brought up in front, the three of us got brought up in front of the the whole school in assembly and were spanked by the principal, okay? So that's how school worked in England in 1977, and we were sent back to our classrooms crying that afternoon. So sometimes avoiding the things that, you know, that you don't like um, is not, uh, you know, the best thing in the world. Sometimes, though, our lives get characterized right, by hard things, by enormous struggles, uh, by difficult times, a lot more serious than vegetables that we want to avoid. And our theme recently has been, how, how am I going to get through what I'm going through? And sometimes it's more along the lines of, like, what can I do when there's nothing I can do? Um, because we're just, we're in a situation and we just feel like there's nothing I can do. How am I going to get through the situation? Uh, is, it, it, and is what I'm going through, is this trial that I'm in, and this is a question that I was chatting with somebody, one of you earlier, earlier this week. Is this trial that I'm in, is this from God or is it from the devil? You know, sometimes we don't even know where the things that, that surround our lives are even coming from. Some of us are dealing with long-term, difficult situations. Forget the 12 weeks of the coronavirus. You might have been thinking, I've been dealing with this, this thing that I'm in or this hardship, this struggle for 12 years. It's, it's just become a part of who I am. And we ask God for, re- for relief. We, re- we you know, shake our fists at the devil. We try everything, but it seems like heaven is silent uh, when it comes to re- 
relieving us from the difficulties that we're facing, but we're trying to get through what we're going through. And you wonder, in the midst of this, what is God doing? What is God doing? And is, is He present in my pain? Is He present in the, the, the day-to-day situation that I face that makes life really, really hard? There's a, a, a part of Scripture in one of the letters that Paul wrote. He wrote a couple of letters to the Corinthian church. And in his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 12, he starts sort of describing in a sense, how great he is and how spiritual he is, and um, starts saying, well, I've had these incredible visions. He, he even talks about being taken up into heaven, and he says, I don't know if it was an out-of-body experience or in the body. I'm not really sure, but he, he starts almost painting this, this great picture of how spiritual he is, like a spirituality resume. And then a little, a little bit as the chapter goes on, he, he, he kind of stops and he sort of says, well, yeah, but I don't want to boast about that. Because something else is going on. In the midst of how spiritual I am and how I've probably experienced God in a way that most of you haven't uh, to, his, to the people he's writing to, he makes it real clear that that's not the only thing going on. And it, in verse 12, he says, sorry, yeah, in uh, verse, verse 7, he says, um, he says uh, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, like God's, uh, you know, in order to, to stop him from getting arrogant with all his spirituality, I was given a thorn in my flesh. You ever heard that phrase? Like a thorn in my flesh. This is where it comes from. Some kind of like a, an irritant, some kind of a, a distraction to, what, to, to, to life because it's, it's imagine, well, if you, imagine if you get a slither of anything in your flesh, it's, it's awfully irritating. But he was given a thorn in his flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Now, I just want to explain, we actually don't truly know what this thorn in Paul's flesh actually was. It, wasn't, it probably wasn't an actual thorn. I'm sure it was a metaphor, but um, he's, he's describing the situation of something that he says was a messenger from Satan... Okay, I mean, we, we see uh, obstacles in our lives as coming in general from three places, from the world, from the flesh, and from the devil. Okay, so, so things that come from the world, things that come from around us, whether it's uh, family problems or whether it's global situations or national crises like we're facing right now, things that come from the flesh, like from us, the from, that come from our dark side, or things that come from the devil. Paul specifically sees this as being something that comes from the devil. He said, there was given to me a, a, a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan. And, and it was a constant reminder that he wasn't perhaps as spiritual and able to remove all the darkness in his life that he would much rather be able to do. In fact, he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it from me. And I don't think that was just Paul saying, hey, God, can you take it? God, can you take it? God, can you take it? Uh, It seems like there were seasons of his life where Paul committed to to saying, like, I'm going to ask God to remove this. I'm going to ask God to remove whatever it was that he was talking about. We don't know whether it was from a a hardship or trouble or a suffering that he had, a physical ailment, a, a, a temptation. We don't know what it was. But we know that over and over again, he'd come to God. And this is a guy that's seen miracle after miracle after miracle. He's seen God work in so many times. And he comes to God and says, God, will you take this away? Will you take this thing that is unbearable? 
and remove it from me. Like I've, I've had it for so long and I want it gone. But somehow God had a different plan to glorify himself within the, the mess of Paul's life. And in verse, uh, verse 9, he says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. That just doesn't seem to make sense, does it? That God's power is perfected within our weakness. Let's look at that a little bit. My grace, well, grace is the mechanism through, through, through which all of us get saved, right? The Bible says that it's by grace that we are saved. Basically, being saved by grace means that we are saved through no work of our own. We didn't do anything to earn our salvation. That's all God. That's all God's grace. And when you get down to the, the, the nitty-gritty of it, Our salvation is because of God's work in us, not because of our work. You hear that? Some of us need to be reminded about that this morning because we've got years of baggage of saying that it's it's somehow to do with my work and me clawing my way back to God that will get me into a relationship with Jesus. I want to remind you, if you've got that that baggage or that history where you're used to uh, doing things to fulfill uh, what might make God happy, I want to remind you that it is by grace that you are saved and His grace is sufficient for you. It's enough. He says, my power, in that verse 9, he says, "My, my power is made perfect in weakness. When you compare my weakness with God's strength, that's why, that's why your story, your story of God's grace in our lives is so important. If in my weakness and my pain and my sort of like messed up life, I can testify to the fact that it makes sense to me to point to an almighty God, he gets the glory as a result of my weakness. So even when I'm weak, I can be strong because I'm, I'm a, in my weakness, I'm able to point to Jesus Christ. And Paul says, like, he says, this, this weakness that I've got, it's, I believe God wants to use it as a thing that points to his greatness. And he carries on in verse 12 to explain like, why he thinks this is happening and what he's going to do as a result. He says, uh, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. That's incredible, isn't it? That he's willing to boast about his weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. The more, the more we're willing to bear our weaknesses and be honest, be vulnerable, be real, the more God's power can be diagnosed in our lives. Isn't that incredible? That's just, it's the exact opposite of what we might have thought. We might have thought that I have got to fix everything that comes from the devil, from the world around me and from inside of me before I can be real about who I am. But God says, no, 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 my grace is sufficient for you. In fact, my power is perfected in the midst of the weaknesses in your lives. God allows difficult things to come our way that you and I would think that he would swoop in and just remove. And it leaves us, it often leaves us asking God why. Pleading with God, pleading with God to take it away. But the result is that God's showing us a deeper level of His grace, His all sufficient, complete, total grace with the ability to save us. Did you know that your greatest weakness, the thing or situation or challenge that you face 
at the deepest level, and maybe nobody even knows about this, or maybe it's blindingly obvious to everybody this weakness. This, uh, this challenge in your life could be an opportunity through which God can display His glory to the world. Imagine that. Imagine that the thing in your life that you thought was the thing that you had to most crush or hide or fix could be the thing that God uses to point the world to Him. Uh, Just recently, I came across the story of a young man named Daniel Ritchie, and I saw this video online. And uh, I don't normally show stories of of, uh, people who we don't know here at Anthem, but this one really caught me because how it connects with this passage, this uh, this theme here this morning. And I actually had a good, great conversation with the person who made the video, got to know him a little bit, and uh, asked if I could share Daniel's story with you this morning. And I know you will have never seen anything like this before. And so don't switch Facebook or the website off right now. I want you to experience Daniel Ritchie's story this morning. Let's watch this together. I would go out into public places and I would get stares and rude comments and and people would literally at the grocery store with with my parents they would stop in the middle of the aisle and just stare at me and uh and and really quickly I, I started to draw into myself like put up this wall because man people people were judging me for something I couldn't change for something I couldn't uh I couldn't fix for something that was completely obvious and I couldn't hide and I, and I felt just unlovable by the rest of the world. My name is Daniel Ritchie. Hear my story. The set-apart moment for me is, is moment one. Um, I come into this world, and I'm born without arms to the complete and total surprise of everybody. Uh, nobody knew that I wasn't going to have arms. My mom had a healthy pregnancy. My mom had two ultrasounds, and surprise. You know, here I come into the world, no arms, and then on top of everything else, I'm not breathing. And so as I come into this world, the doctor catches me and he holds me up to my dad. He goes, do you want us to let him go? That's, that's the backdrop of my life right there is, I, I think so much of that moment encapsulates what I fought against for so much of my life is, do you want us to let him go? Is, is he worth it? Is, is an armless life worth living? My struggle had never been my physical body, you know, going, going into elementary school, going into to life in general. Everything that everybody else does with their hands, I do with my feet, whether that's uh, writing, typing on a computer, eating, brushing my teeth, uh, getting dressed in the morning. Uh, man, I, 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 can, I can look back at my life and say, man, I've never been held back by, by my physical body at all. Uh, but what, what started to creep in on me and what started to affect me was I felt different. And, and as I started to look around at, at, at everybody else, I knew I was different. I knew that there were not really many other people uh, that, that ate with their feet and that drove a car with their feet. and. Um, and, and these feelings started to bubble up like, God, why'd you do this to me? 
God, why, why do I have to have something uh, that's just so destructive and so visible as a part of my story? Why, why, can't, it be a, why can't it be a speech impediment where I can just keep my mouth closed and, and nobody know about it or, or, or any sort of other, other thing? God, why does my difference have to fly like a flag? And I, as I grew older, I, I just drew more inward drew bitter, uh, started to let the darkness close around me. Going through this dark time, um, I, I had next to no friends, um, kind of uh, a, a kid that painted this smile on, like on the outside, and was hurting on the inside. And God used a, God used a kid to, uh, to invite me to this event at his church. And, um, and it was a super simple devotion, uh, just talking about the love of God. And God broke my hard heart that night. Uh, and, and it wasn't, for, for me, looking back, my, my biggest hang up was how can anybody love me for, my, for, for all of my armless baggage? But that night it was, it blew me away. Like God loved me for all of my baggage and my sin. And, and my wickedness and my hate and my frustration toward God, He still loved me. He still pursued me. And um, gave my life to Christ that night and to watch, to watch the darkness peel back. I, I, I can't put into words just how, how God started to change my life that night from going to just resting in Christ as my everything, as, as, as my Lord, as my Savior, to watch how He starts to peel back just so much of my hurt. Um, because, man, before, the, the thing I wanted more than anything was I wanted people, I mean, to love me, to look past, I think, the whole armless thing. And, and people's words to me were the greatest uh, source of, of just worth and value in my life. And once I started to rest in Christ, my greatest worth and my greatest value started to become what, what God said about me. Um, how he defined the fact that, you know, I fearfully and wonderfully made you. And while you were still in your mother's womb, I was knitting you together. Um, you know, Genesis 1, that that God fashions all of us as his image bearers. For me to see that, that I don't have to depend on what other people say about me changed everything. It, it was an absolute game changer in my life because I started to, to be able to live my life where I wasn't afraid of what people were going to say because all that mattered is, is, is what God said about me. And that, that wasn't going to change. That value and that worth in, in how he had formed me the, the relationship that I have with him because of what Christ did on the cross, that wasn't going anywhere um, because I'd already been adopted as a son. My value, my worth, my hope was now for the first time, it was on a rock solid plane. And it wasn't in, in the shifting sand of people's praises and, and people's words. Um, I went from miserable kid to suddenly sitting in, in such a, a healthier place and it seemed like overnight and that, that had everything to do with, with what Jesus did.
So, uh, man, after becoming a believer and resting in Christ, I was sitting here with, with this joy and with this hope, and I wanted everybody to know about it. You know, I went from hating people, uh, in all honesty, to now God's calling me to go and take his gospel to people. And I'm, I'm the most unlikely candidate to, to share the gospel. I'm not a natural communicator. I'm an introvert. Um, I really don't like people. And so God's going, go on. And man, I, I, I could not be uh, more excited to, to just share with, with the person that I come across at the gas station, at the grocery store, uh, just about the hope that I have in me because um, people ask to hear my story a lot. You know, I'll, I'll be paying for groceries at the grocery store and I'll pull my debit card out of my shoe, swipe it through the credit card reader, and all of a sudden everybody's like, what? And then people automatically, man, what's, what's your story? How'd you lose your arms? And I get a great opportunity, man, to just tell people what I've been through, what what God's delivered me from, and, uh, and what for the first half of my life I thought was a curse in regards to, to my armlessness. Man, I started to see that God had given me a true gift, that, that two empty sleeves were just an opportunity to, to grab people's attention and point people back to Him, back to the one who fearfully and wonderfully made me like this. I know what it is to, to feel like you're a mistake, an accident, a freak, but I also know what it is to, to find hope and purpose in knowing that God God doesn't misstitch us when he fearfully and wonderfully makes each and every one of us. And so if you're sitting there going, I'm a freak, nobody loves me, nobody's with me, I want you to know that the God who fearfully and wonderfully made you loves you. And he's crafted you with a purpose regardless of what you got going on. He can use you and he already is using you because just as much as people stop and stare and freak out, there are also people who stop and take a breath and go, man, what a cool kid. What an inspiration. What a display of God's glory. You, just by how you're made, you let people know how remarkable God is. And you need to see you're not an accident. You are the perfect display of God's glory. I believe we get through what we're going through by just being honest and saying to God, God, this is who I am. I don't understand some pieces of who I am and who you've made me to be, but I do know that you are going to use my life for your glory. Don't be saying I can't come to God because of this problem or because of this weakness or I've tried before, I've failed before, my story's too messy, I'm the wrong gender, I'm the wrong race. God has a plan for our lives within the, the mess that we're in. You might, you might know C.S. Lewis as the guy that wrote the uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe in the Chronicles of Narnia, but he was one of the greatest thinkers of the 20th century, and he said this about the pain that we sometimes find ourselves in. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. Pain is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God has a purpose in the midst of the thorns that are in our flesh that won't leave. 
I love Daniel's words in that video. He said, all that mattered is what God says about me. I've already been adopted as a son. My value, my hope, my worth was for the first time on a rock-solid plane. And then this was like the clincher for me when I watched this. And this is like the defining moment of his life that takes him to the next level when he says, two empty sleeves were just an opportunity to grab people's attention and point people back to him, back to the one who fearfully and wonderfully made me like this. Can you... Imagine the excuse that somebody like Daniel would have to, to shake their fist at God. But instead, he's, he's using those empty sleeves as the very thing that will point people back to Jesus. You see, in the midst of our trial, God calls us over and over again to work out our salvation. And this is an interesting phrase that the Bible used to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Not working for our salvation, because as I said earlier, we're saved by the grace of God. But somehow, once we experience salvation, we experience God's changing power in our lives, we're to kind of like work this thing out day to day. In Philippians 2, Paul said this, Therefore, my friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Isn't that interesting? I wonder what that means. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good, good purpose. Some translations say that, it's, that God calls us to work out our, our salvation daily. As if like the, the work has already been done by God, but then there's this daily part that we have to work out our salvation day to day. There's this routine commitment to living in Christ, to living out our faith in Christ. And I know just, just by the number of people that I'm talking to this morning that somebody out there is feeling, and nobody may know this, somebody out there is feeling like, yeah, but honestly, honestly, my faith has seen better days. You might be really saying, actually, my faith has seen better years or decades, that you might be looking back to a time in your past. Maybe you've been a Christian for a number of years, number of decades, but you're like, you know what? It isn't what it was. And I'm, I'm a shred of the, of the follower of Jesus that I used to be because I haven't been working out my salvation on a day-to-day basis. Maybe, maybe it's just too hard right now. Just maybe not, not in this particular area where this area of weakness. It's just been too hard. I want to bring a challenge to you. If you feel this morning like, you're, like honestly, my faith isn't what it was. I, man, you should look back on my life. You should experience the things that I experienced as a younger follower of Christ. Remember we talked earlier about that, um, about that uh, uh, challenged faith, and maybe you're, you're going through that challenged faith right now, and you haven't been able to push through to a living faith. But maybe you can look back and see better days. This morning, I want to use a, a quick illustration from, from the world of investing and the financial world. Um, uh, I, one of my earliest jobs uh, uh, was as a financial advisor. And in my early 20s, I had the job of helping people with their, their finances. Um, I learned a couple of things from that, and the first is that never trust someone in their early 20s with your finances. It's not a good plan. But um, the other thing I learned from it was this thing called pound cost averaging, which over here you would call dollar, we would call dollar cost averaging. Um, 
Uh, dollar cost averaging is, 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 is kind of basically this idea that, well, you know, if you were going to invest, imagine you're going to invest $100 a month in the stock market. Maybe you're 30 years old and you're like, I'm going to put $100 a month away every month for the next 30 years so that I've got a decent nest egg when I retire. Nothing wrong with that. Great idea. If you're not doing it, you really should do it. Uh, but if you're thinking about that, you, you would probably at first glance think the kind of stock market that I want to invest in would be one that's kind of like going, as they say, like up and to the right, where basically as time's going on, your investment is continuing to creep up and up and up and beat like regular interest rates and that kind of stuff. Wrong. Not quite true. What you actually want, you want a stock market to be more of a roller coaster. Because guess what happens? When you, when you invest your $100 a month and you get a certain amount of stock, if the value of stocks goes down shortly after that and you're investing another $100 a month and another $100 a month and another $100 a month, all the way on this downward slope, you are, stocks are cheaper. So your $100 a month is buying way more stock. So when that thing recovers and when it goes up, I mean, we've seen the volatility in the stock market in these last few months, haven't we? And, and people tend to bail during downward times in the stock market. It's one of what, it's one of what causes the bigger, the bigger slopes sometimes is that people pull their money out. Because rather than just uh, ride out those peaks and troughs in the market that continue to go, and on, go, go on and on over decades, we bail when it gets scary. We, 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 we want to run. We want to stop investing. But the, the investments that you make on, the, on the, the downward slides of that roller coaster are going to pay off huge dividends in your life when, when you, you head back uphill. So you see where I'm going, this, going with this? That it's when we are on the sort of the downhill of life that we continue to work out our salvation day after day after day, that we will see huge dividends paid off. You know, the Bible doesn't say um, when you're on the beach and when the sun's on your back and when, when you're getting a tan and when life's perfect and when you've got a pina colada in your hand, I am with you. It says when you're in the valley of the shadow of death, I am with you, right? Like, I mean, I know footprints in the sand is all nice and everything, but that's not the time when God's letting us know that we can experience his presence the most. It is when we're in the downward of the roller coaster, the, 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 the downturns in the stock market, you just want to bail. But God says, no, keep investing. Keep investing. If you haven't invested, made a significant investment into your faith recently because it's just too hard, I want to challenge you, do it today. Make an investment into your walk with Jesus today. So after this is done, sometime this afternoon, this evening, whatever it is, but do it today. Go for a walk. Go for a walk in your neighborhood. Go into the town. Go walk around the town green or something. Go, go for a walk. And while you're walking, just worship Jesus. As you're walking along, just say, Jesus, I worship you. Just say, God, I love you. God, I, I, I lift you up in this dark time of my life. Say, praise the Lord. Say words that may feel empty when you say them, but God is building something in your life as you worship Him. Say, hallelujah. You know, hallelujah just is a Hebrew word that means praise the Lord. And you can just say that over and over again. Say it out loud. Like, like you've probably got a mask on anyway. No one's going to see you. Like, I was, I was in the post office in Burlington the other week, and I just came out, and I... 
I, I decided I would just walk around the town green three or four times. And I walked around the town green in Burlington, just praying over the town, praying that God would begin to free us from this, this thing that we're in. And uh, walked around there praying with with words out loud, no one knew a thing because I had a mask on. So you can go and pray today in your neighborhood like you never could. Continue to invest in the darkness, and those investments will pay off massive dividends and massive growth in your relationship with God later. It's God wants us to invest in the darkness. Now, next week, next week, do not miss this, but next week uh, we are continuing this series of uh, how to get through what we're going through with a special guest. Some of the ideas and the original, the original idea for this series came from the experience of Rick and Kay Warren uh, it's from Saddleback Church in California uh, who tragically lost uh, their son. Uh, their son took his own life a number of years ago and after a, a, a life of, of struggling with mental illness. And some of the thoughts that they had uh, inspired me and our team to use this as our theme for these, for these weeks. Next week, Kay Warren is going to be with us speaking at Anthem next Sunday. And her, uh, she and Rick lead Saddleback Church in Calif California, one of the largest churches in the country. And we're so honored to have her with us next Sunday morning for a, a continuation uh, of, this, of this theme, uh, how to get through what you're going through, and to hear a little bit of her story. So be with us next week. We'll put some uh, 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 posts out there this week to, to share that. I want you to share that with your friends. Kay Warren is going to be with us next Sunday morning, and I'm so excited uh, to have her for, for, uh, with at Anthem next Sunday. Isaiah 43, verse 18 says this, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Though it springs up, do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. I know so many of us have got enormous struggles in our lives and things that we're dealing with that we don't just seem to be able to climb out of. But God is going to use those struggles to bring glory to Him if we just continue to invest in our relationship with Jesus. Like He's making a way in the wilderness in your life right now. He's, he's making streams in the wasteland where it seems like there's no life. There's going to come a trickle of water, just kind of come out of nowhere. God's going to create a stream in our life of, of living water as we continue to invest in Him. You see, Paul was describing what he was going through. And he's thinking, how am I going to get through what I'm going through? And his decision at the end of the day is after hearing from God, hearing like, my power is perfect in your weakness, Paul. He just decides, I'm going to point to Jesus. I'm going to allow my strength and my weakness and everything that is sort of who I am, I'm going to let it all point to Jesus. Whether it's weakness or sickness, temptation, Trouble out from outside and from our family, friends, whether it's debt, hardship, sin, depression, loneliness. I'm going to let it all point to Jesus. Let's offer up everything that we have that we thought was something we had to hide. Offer it up on the altar to God. And let's let it be known that it's only through the grace of God the all-sufficient grace of God that I can get through what I'm going through. 